Hey, welcome everybody. Glad you're here. If you've got the, uh, if you got your Bible with you, you can turn to the book of Revelation. It's easy to find. It's the last book. <laughs> so go to the end. There you go. Um, we also will be through the book of Revelation this summer. One of the things we do as a church is we preach through books of the Bible. Uh, we've been doing that for about a decade, and we are close to finishing. We preach every verse. We go through verse by verse through all the scriptures. And the only book we won't cover is the book of Psalms, and we pray through the Psalms on Tuesday and Thursday mornings, verse by verse, in our men's group, or in our prayer time, not in our men's group. And so I would encourage you to join those prayer times if you're available. I know it's early. But it's a Zoom call, so you can like not put your camera on and just listen and sleep if you want to. Um, there's no requirement for you to have to pray um, or, or interact, but we'd love to have you as a part of that. Now, um, we've preached through, I think there's only about a handful of books left we haven't preached through. Revelation is one of the ones I've postponed preaching through for a long time. Um, and the reason is because it frustrates me. And the reason it frustrates me is because Revelation is supposed to be one of the most encouraging books of all the scriptures because it's the culmination of all the scriptures and kind of gives us the vision and the hope and puts all of it together and like ties a bow on it. Like here it is, okay? Unfortunately, what the church has turned Revelation into is an argument. And most of the time when people go through Revelation, they miss the beauty of the book They miss the glory of Christ in the book, and they just sit around and argue. And so I've avoided it on purpose for that reason. I'm telling you right now that as we go through the book of Revelation, you will be sorely disappointed. I will not give you answers to your hard questions. I will tell what the hard questions are, but I'm not going to give you the answers that most people seek when they go through the book of Revelation. Normally, they want some chart. So they can give it to their friends and tell them how smart they are that they know how it's all going to go down. We're going to see in a minute how you have to be very careful with that. I'm not saying there aren't things you can know. I'm not saying that it's not fun to talk about what possibly God might do and and how it might all go down. But so often the book of Revelation is read and studied and we get lost in the arguments and we miss the beauty of God himself. And so I've postponed it. So here we are. We're going to dive in. And here's the title that I've chosen for our book. And I didn't choose the title. God did. Blessed. The word blessed is used over and over and over and over again in the book of Revelation. Constantly. God is trying to show us how his blessing culminates in the last book of the Bible. This is what's going to happen, and then you will see how blessed you really are and how blessed things are going to be forever. Everybody talks about being blessed, right? Hashtag blessed. It's everywhere. It's on shelves. It's online. It's all over the place. But we have no idea, most people, what that word really means and what it looks like in our world as Christians to live it out. Because we've twisted it. And so we are going to go through the book of Revelation realizing that everything that goes down in the book of Revelation, all the death, all the mayhem, all the fire, all the destruction, is a blessing. It's the true blessing of God. It's what blessing really looks like. And we're going to go, what? So this morning, that's where I'm going to start us at. Now, the reason I titled the book Blessed, just like we always do when we do series, I didn't come up with the title. God did This is what he says. 
He says in Revelation, the first chapter, he says this, the one who reads this is blessed. There you go. You're blessed already if you've read it. And as we read this morning, then those who hear it, you're blessed. You're going to hear it this morning as we read through it and keep it. Ooh, now that's, that's a little offensive. Are blessed. And then at the end of the book, God follows it and sandwiches it and says, blessed is he who heeds this book. Blessed to blessed. It's what the book is about. But so often, we don't understand what blessing really means. So how do you know or how do you feel if you're blessed or not? See, the word blessed, actually, that's used here in Revelation, there's actually different words that can be used for blessed. The one that's used here in the Greek actually means happiness or joy, a deep sense of, like, happiness and joy. See, our culture is all about the superficial happiness and joy that kind of comes and then goes away. Like, you go on vacation, and you're happy, and then you got to go to work, and you're not happy anymore. You're like, I was blessed on vacation. Work stinks. Even though God says it's a blessing to be able to work six days and rest one. And you got seven and you're not happy. Like, right? Like, this is our heart. And so God says, look, I'm trying to get you to see what true blessing is truly about. So this morning, here's where we're going to dive in. Here's the title of the, or the message this morning. Read, hear, and keep. Read, hear, and keep. This is why you are here at college. You came to college, and you know what three, three things you're going to do the next four years? Yeah. You're going to read, hear, and keep. You're going to have to read the books you're supposed to read and the articles and the forums and everything that you're told to read. You're going to have to hear your professor teach and try not to fall asleep and show up for class. And then you're going to have to, like, keep up on the homework and the reading and the hearing. Because if you fall behind on the keeping and the hearing and the homework, guess what happens? You no longer get the blessing of college. They kick you out. Okay? And what's crazy to me is that Christians will pay big money, and our world will pay big money for people to tell us to read, people for us to hear, and people that will hold us accountable to keep. You want to know why? You'll do that and you'll give your life to that for a university or at a workplace, but not for the church because you don't see the blessing of God and you don't see the blessing of the church. It's that simple. You will read, hear, and keep the things that you think will give you blessing, that will give you happiness, that will give you joy. You will. We all do it, right? When you're sitting around at night, do you like to... Pick up your homework, or do you like to watch YouTube and TikTok and kind of waste about an hour just looking at videos of cats and crazy stuff going on? Like, right, like, like it exposes our heart. And so the Bible says that God has a desire to want to give us the ability to read his word. And then he says he speaks to us through his word, through the body of Christ, through circumstances and then it says that he desires to give us one another and give us a church family so that we can keep one another in the reading and hearing and we can be a blessing to the world around us. And instead of looking to get everything, we realize we have everything. All we have to do is continue to 
Keep it around. Keep it going. That's our responsibility. And so I want you guys to think through in your own spiritual life how you read, hear, and keep. Who really do you listen to? What do you really read? Do you read your Bible or do you read people who wrote about the Bible? Like, I love reading God's Word way before I love what people wrote about God's Word. It's one of the reasons why we preach through the Scriptures. Now, as we dive into Revelation, there's something you need to keep in mind. I'm going to say this verse that's not in Revelation every week to keep you reminded of why we're in the book. Here it is. This is what Jesus said, his last words to his disciples before he ascended and went into heaven and disappeared. Before the book of Revelation is written, this is what Jesus gave his disciples. He said, so when they had come together, the disciples asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? In other words, is it time for the blessing? Like you've, you've, been, you've died, you've come back to life, they're standing on the Mount of Transfiguration, they're standing there, and they're like, okay, so is this it? Is it time to get our blessing? Like, like this is life, like it's time to go? Like, yeah, like you, you've come back to life, you're here, this is awesome, so it's time. We're gonna overthrow the Romans, This is going to be great. Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Why don't you memorize that while we go through the book of Revelation? It is not for you to know the times or periods the Father has set by his own authority. It's not for you to know. There's no blessing in knowing that, so don't try to get it. Just trust him that he's going to bring it, that he knows and you can trust the one who knows. It's kind of like when you go on a trip, when you were a kid, when I was a kid, we have kids, and the kids are like, are we there yet? When are we going to be there? Where are we going? All these questions versus just getting in the car and being like, I got free travel, free food, free snacks, like, I got no responsibilities. I can sit and fall asleep in my chair. Like, this, every adult would dream of that, right? But as a kid, you're like, this is terrible. Like, I wish somebody would give that to me each day. Sure, drive me around and feed me. I'll just sleep back here. This is awesome. Jesus says, look, I want you to go on the journey. Quit worrying about the destination. It's finished. Don't worry. Just come on the journey. I will provide. I will take care of things as you're on the journey. Will there be bumps in the roads and and problems? Absolutely. But it's not for you to know the times and periods. You can know a lot of things about God. There's a whole Bible. Tons of stuff that God has revealed about himself all over the place. And just like the kid in the car, we ignore all the blessing that we have. And we gripe and complain and get upset because God won't show us that thing that we want that clarity we want in our life. See, Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says this. But, you won't know the times or periods, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses. The word for witness there in the Greek is martyr. That doesn't sound like a blessing to me to be a martyr. 
He says, no, but you will. You won't know the times or periods, but you will have the Holy Spirit empower you to be my witness, to to be the one that goes out and tells people at the cost of your own life about who I really am. And he says, it'll start with where you live in Jerusalem. Then that'll spread out to the area you live in. Then I'll kind of make you go to people you don't like, the Samaritans, the Jews, and Samaritans didn't get along. He's like, I'm going to make you do cross-cultural and reach out to those folks And then the ends of the earth. Jesus says, start right where you are. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if you feel blessed or don't feel blessed. I don't know where you are in your relationship with God or not. But God says, start where you are. You can know that he desires to give you the power to understand who he is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he desires to help you read, hear, and keep from him. So let's dive in. Revelation 1. Here's how it starts. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave to show his slaves what must quickly take place. He sent it and signified it through his angel to his slave, John, who testified to God's word and to the testimony about Jesus Christ in all he saw. The word revelation actually means apocalypse. That's the Greek word right? It means apocalypse. We hear the word apocalypse and you're like, oh, the apocalypse is coming. Like, well, no, the apocalypse is simply an unveiling. That's what apocalypse means. It, it means an unveiling, a, a seeing something you hadn't seen before. A, like taking that which is obscure and making it more clear. That's what apocalypse is. When you go to your classes, most of the classes when you walk in, you don't know the information and the professor is going to take you on an apocalypse, You can tell him that. Like, just walk up to your professor and be like, I'm ready for the apocalypse, right, of your class. And see what he says to you, or she, right? Because that's what it's doing. He's going to unveil to you the information you need. Say the same to your boss at work. Like, hey, I want you to learn this new thing or do this thing. We're going to go on an apocalypse. He'd be like, what in the world are you talking about? Then you can just share this with him. Anyway, so he also says Jesus Christ Those of you who are new, our church talks about this a lot. Jesus Christ is not first name, last name. Jesus Christ means, Jesus' name means Yahweh who saves. Christ means Messiah. Whenever you see the name Jesus Christ in the scripture, it means the Yahweh of the Old Testament who saves us and this is his Messiah. It is a name that brings clarity to the whole Bible instantly. It brings clarity to the Christian faith because it says there's nothing else that can save you but Yahweh. Oh, and by the way, Jesus is Yahweh. He is the Savior and he's the only way to be saved. That's what his name means. That's why it's so offensive. And when they add the Lord on the end of it, it means who is definitely Yahweh. So Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah, who is definitely Yahweh. That's what his name means. It's not just you skip over it. You pause and remember, this guy is, came and said, and the Bible says that everything is about him, all of it. This whole book of Revelation is about one person. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about the end of time. It's not about what happened before and what's gonna happen in the future. It is about Jesus. And it gives us the clarity to know that if we have him, we have every heavenly blessing we'll ever need and we don't need to chase things. We can rest in his blessing because he loves us. And John, this is revealed to him, it said he's gonna show his slaves, that's us, 
Some versions of the Bible say servants. The word there is doulos. And in the, Old, in the New Testament and in the Greek, doulos means slave. Now, it's not the kind of slavery that we had in America, which was wicked, evil, and terrible. It was a bond slave. It was someone who willingly gave their life to be a slave to someone else because that person gave everything for them. This happened all over the Roman Empire. This would happen often where a where a prominent person would do something great, save a family, do something for you, and in return, you would say, you know what? I give you my life for the rest of my life for what you've done, and I could never repay you, but I'll be your slave until you are dead or I am dead. The word is slave, but it's a different kind. It's a willing slavery. And the other person buys that with a price, gives his life. For you. And so he says, this is to be written to those who understand that you have a trade-off in life all the time. And all the time we're trading off for blessing in life. And he says, what's your trade-off? There is a God who has traded. He's given his own son, died and came back to life to prove that you can trust him with the trade-off of your life because you can be resurrected someday. He says, what quickly must take place, Right? Well, this was written about 2,000 years ago. That's not my definition of quick. I don't know about you. But if you think of all of human history, all of creation history, yeah, it's pretty quick. 2,000 years, like, boop, nothing. Like, it's a blip on the map. See, again, we don't know the times of the periods. We don't understand how God works things. You want to know why he hasn't come back? Peter tells us the reason that Jesus hasn't returned is because he desires that none would perish, but everyone, the people group we prayed for that I'm not even going to try to pronounce right now, and everyone in the world would have the chance to hear about Jesus. And Jesus says, I am waiting until my people go out to be my witnesses, then I will come back and make everything perfectly blessed forever. John knows this. He's writing this. And he said he signified it. That word signified means symbols. In other words, he's going to give symbols in this book. These symbols, while they're pictures of things, listen, tune into this. John is trying to describe things that he's seeing that he has no description for. Okay, here's the deal. If you were to, how many of you ever seen The Final Countdown? Old, old movie from like 1984. Really good movie. Watch it sometime. So none of you have seen it. Let me give you another example. So, in that movie, basically, I'll tell you real quick. In the movie, a space, a, a, a aircraft carrier goes through a portal back to World War II before Pearl Harbor, and they're in the Pacific. And then they figure out they're in the Pacific, and like Pearl Harbor's, and they can stop Pearl Harbor, but they're struggling with: do we stop it and change world history and what's going to go on, or do we let it happen? And they're like getting ready to fly in, getting ready to stop it, and then the portal opens back up and they get sucked through. So I just ruined the movie for you, but that's kind of the deal. If you lived a thousand years ago, if you're 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire and a helicopter flies through, like a big one, a Sanook flies through a portal and is flying around Rome and the Romans have to give a description of what they're seeing when there's a helicopter flying around, what's their description going to be? That's a helicopter. We know about science. We know how it works. Like, or are they going to be like, giant locusts, really loud, 
like flyy thing. Like they have no words to describe what they're seeing. They're having to, they're going to have to actually make up words, which is what John does. They have to actually make up words to describe what they're seeing because they have no description for it. That's the book of Revelation. John is trying to describe things and he's seeing them quick and he's got to write it down. He's like, uh, flyy thing, uh, big light, flashy. Like he's just writing down as fast as he can so he doesn't forget. And that's the picture we have. That's all God wants to give us is a picture, a glimpse. It's not about being perfectly accurate. It's about trusting the one who's perfectly accurate. And when you take the book of Revelation and try to make it this super literal thing, or you make it just a symbolic thing that doesn't mean anything, both are wrong. You have to look at it from the perspective that this guy's doing the best he can. Now, also consider this. John is on the island of Patmos. It is the island of criminals that the Roman Empire sent their criminals to. John was sent there because he was being faithful to preach the gospel and give the blessing of the gospel to the world. And he actually considered a blessing to be on the island of Patmos with all these criminals because he got to share with people who really needed Jesus. Okay? Rome, history, church history says they tried to boil him in oil before he sent him there and he wouldn't die while they were boiling him. So they sent him to the island. I don't know about you, but like this morning I was frying some stuff up in an oil. Like, and I put my finger in there, like move the stuff, thinking, what am, and I thought, what am I doing? Thankfully, I didn't burn my finger, but I thought, that's going to hurt. John willingly gave his life so that the world could see that Jesus is more important than my own life. He's more important than anything. And when John was exiled to the island, here's the other thing. When John would write letters, when he wrote this book, he had to get the book off the island. They had censors who had to read the book. The Romans weren't going to let him write things that were bad about Rome. So John would have had to nuance words that he maybe wanted to describe Rome, but if he says, this is the Roman Empire, the book would be burned and never get across the shore. So John probably had to write in obscurity and describe things, and we don't know. And it's okay we don't know. Listen, you're okay with stuff you don't know every day. You are. How many of you inspected the chair you sat in before you got here? I mean, you turned it up, like, where's that inspected by number five sticker on there? I want to be sure this thing's going to hold me up. How, you don't know our church. Maybe we're a trickster church. We took the screws out. We just want to see a couple of you fall down and we'll all laugh at you. You didn't know that. You came in and trusted a chair. Why? Because chairs have been trustworthy. Looks pretty trustworthy. person next to you sat in one. I don't think these people would put out trick chairs. You trusted us. The whole world is built on faith. All of it is built on faith. You can't go a day without having multiple opportunities to have faith in people, in things, in government, in all the stuff. Yet when God tells us to have faith, we're like, oh, he, he's got to prove it. I need to have specifics. The God of the universe you can't trust? But you'll trust IU or the government or your job or... Well, yeah, because all of them really affect my earthly blessing if I don't trust them. But I cannot trust God, and eh, what's going to happen? 
And John is writing and saying, look, I am testifying to you about God's word and the testimony about Jesus. He says, I am telling you the testimony about Jesus Christ, the full testimony. I'm giving you the testimony of when he came and now what's going to happen. He said, it's the full story. I'm going to lay it out for you. This is what God called John to do in everything he saw. He goes on and says this, the one who reads this is blessed. And those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it are blessed because the time is near. He says it again, the time is near. You think it's been 2,000 years. That doesn't seem very near. I was an Asian studies minor in college. We don't have a concept in America of like history. If you study China, <laughs> they've, when we were still like killing mammoths, they had a culture. Like seriously. Like they had empires and cultures and like written language and we're like, hey, like I'm serious. Like if they, they get longevity. We've only been around a couple hundred years as a country. And so everything's now, right now, quick. And so you look at a country like China or places in Asia or the Middle East, and then you look at us and you wonder, like, why are they so patient? Why don't they overthrow their government? Why don't Because, dude, they've been around so long and endured so much, they're just like, we're here to survive. We're just going to go through life. Like, this is the normal process. We can't really affect everything. There'll be some dynasty. It'll fall and another one will rise up. I mean, the Great Wall's stinking there. Still. The Great Wall, it's like, they can't forget. For us, in our culture, it's very easy to forget. We don't live where these monuments are. We don't live with the reminder. But the time is near. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said this to his disciples. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. You know these things. You're blessed if you do them. He said, look, you know that a slave is no greater than his master. Whatever the master does, the slave's going to follow. You, so if Jesus went to the cross, if Jesus gave his life, then duh, that's what he's going to ask us to do. If, if Jesus looked to be a blessing to people and looked to give to people his life, then that's what he's going to ask us to do. And then he says, oh, and by the way, if you do that, you will receive the blessing that I give, the blessing that I bring. If you don't do that, you can chase all the other blessings of the world and you're never going to be happy because the word blessed means happy. You're never going to find the happiness you're looking for. And Jesus says, I am telling you, no one's greater. Why do you keep trying to be greater than Jesus? Is basically what Jesus, why are you trying to be greater than me? So let me ask you this. What are the blessings of God? If we're going to go through this series, if we're going to read, hear, and keep what God says, let's start with what is the blessing. Thankfully, Jesus was very kind to us. He defined blessing for us more clearly than maybe any word in the scripture. I mean, he laid it out clear. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. It says this. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. After he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, this is Jesus' first public sermon. First recorded public sermon, he's preaching to the world. So this is the sermon you want to get right, because if you get this wrong, you can't recover from it. Like your message is like, now they know, oh, he's that guy. Like, right? It'd be like you come in here for the first sermon, and like I'm throwing chairs and doing crazy stuff. You're not coming back next week. 
right? I'm preaching out of a different book. I'm like made up my own Bible. And this is the Matt Shockney Bible we're going to read today. You'd be like, I got to get out of this place as fast as I can and never come back. And I hope you would do that, right? And so, so Jesus is looking. This is, the, this is the moment for him. He's waited 30 years to start his ministry. We'll look at that in a second. He's waited 30 years. He's getting ready to go. And this is the big message. He doesn't get a platform. He doesn't get a microphone. He doesn't project. He goes up on a mountain. He sits down. He calls his disciples near. He teaches all of his disciples. Then he tells his disciples to go teach everybody else. Did you miss that? He began to teach them. It's really hard to project when you're sitting down. It's really hard for people to hear you if you climb a mountain away from them. See, the message of Jesus has always been, I'm going to teach you all, and then you're going to go. That's always been the message. God raised up Abraham and said, you're going to go. Abraham was to raise up children to go. Moses was raised up so the people would go. His people would go into the promised land. That's the plan. There's not a plan B. There's not a we got to get a super apostle, super preacher, and then that guy's going to reach everybody. That's not the plan of God. The plan of God is to bring people in, to teach them, and then to turn them loose to go teach others. And here's Jesus' first sermon. It's not a very good one. Okay, here we go. I mean, I'm just, it is good, but like in our mentality. Here's what he says. The poor in spirit are happy or blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Poor people don't run kingdoms. Poor people get used by kingdoms. Poor people typically don't have happiness because they can't do anything and struggle. And Jesus says, those of you who are poor in your spirit, those of you who recognize the poverty spiritually that you're in, that's how you get access to my kingdom. Then he goes on, he says, those who mourn are happy. No, I'm not, I'm mourning. When you're mourning, you're not happy, you're mourning. No, you're happy because they will be comforted. The gentle are blessed. <laughs> no, they're not, they're beat up. Don't stand up to the bully. Just be gentle. Hi, Mr. Bully, pet him. Like, I, we, now, that's not the definition of gentleness. We've talked about this before. You can gently kill someone or you can maliciously kill someone. We have different laws for that even in our legal system. You can gently give the truth or you can maliciously give the truth. Truth still has to be given. There's still laws. There's still rules. But he says, those who practice gentleness want to be as gentle as possible with the reality of the world we live in. Well, you're going to inherit the earth because your heart's been changed. And this is a progression, by the way. When you realize how poor you are, you mourn. When you mourn, you realize that I need someone that can help me, a gentleness, and you, you well up inside to become a person that says, I've got to know what's true and how to move out into the world. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are happy. No, hungry and thirsty people aren't happy. They're hungry and thirsty. And God's like, no, if you, if you hunger and thirst for what's right, you'll be filled up. Don't hunger and thirst for all the other stuff. Then he says, the merciful are blessed for they will be shown mercy. Do you expect mercy from everyone else, but you aren't merciful? Then you won't be happy. You're going to be a miserable human being. He goes on, he says, the pure in heart are blessed, happy, for they will see God. 
You can't make yourself pure. It takes you doing all the other things that we just listed to get to a place where Jesus makes your heart pure inside so that you can actually see who God is. Then he says, the peacemakers are blessed for they will be called the sons of God. There have been many times in history where weapons have been named the peacemaker because sometimes it requires a weapon to make peace. But he says, those who are looking to make peace, not war, but are trying to be priests, those are the ones that are going to find happiness in their life. And then they'll realize that I don't have to bring a peace that God doesn't ask me to bring. I can die on a cross. I can give up my life and be boiled in oil because I have a peace from God that I can't get anywhere else. So I don't have to kill a bunch of people to find my peace. And he goes on and he says, those who are persecuted, this is where it gets deeply personal. Those who are persecuted for righteousness, not because you're a moron, but because you're actually doing the right thing, are blessed, are happy, for the kingdom of heaven is there. See, he starts with poor in spirit, and he ends with persecuted, because he says, if you realize you're poor in spirit in this world, there's going to come a day when you tell other people that, and they're not going to hear it, and they're going to persecute you. And it's going to make you feel poor in spirit again, and then you're going to go through this blessing process to remember that I can rejoice Because I'm blessed when they insult me and persecute me and falsely say every kind of evil against me because of Jesus. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All the prophets of the Old Testament were killed by their own people. Persecuted by their own people. Because they did not want to hear the message that God had for them to hear. They didn't want to hear what a true blessing was. They had their idea of blessing. They were demanding it from God and anyone who would challenge that was an opposition to be taken out. Jesus lays out what blessing really looks like. Let me ask you, when you look at the list we just looked at and you see blessed with a question mark, are these the blessings you're chasing? Are you chasing the world's blessings? Because I can tell you the misery that you find in your life will not go away. The things you read and hear and keep will expose what you're really going after to find your peace, your blessing, your spirit, all these things. And John is writing Revelation to bring clarity to say, listen, stop chasing the blessings of the world because there's an apocalypse coming and it's going to be over. And the only thing that's going to endure is these things that only God can do in our heart and lives. He finishes with this. Jesus does in his first sermon. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. He says, look, if you understand this whole blessing, happiness thing, I can can prove it, Jesus says. I can prove if you truly understand this blessing and happiness thing, because when you see persecution, You run to put salt on the wound and you run to expose the light. You don't hide from it. You don't back away from it. You move forward in it just like Jesus, your master, moved to the cross. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of the book. I can't get around it. I wish it was a different message. I wish I could sit up here and say, just accept Jesus and enjoy your life and nothing bad will happen to you. And the more you pray and the more you trust Jesus, just good things are going to happen. That is not the people that wrote this book. Almost every person that wrote a book in the book died miserably. And you're going to get a pass? And they died miserably because they recognized the blessing and glory of eternity. 
and they recognize that we're all going to die miserably. I might as well die miserably with a purpose. Because everybody else is going to die. Listen, if you think you're going to die in your sleep at 99 years old when you want to, you're a nut. You're crazy. That's not how people go in our, like we go badly, clinging to life, clutching to breath. I've watched it multiple times happen and wept with people and it's gruesome and horrible because of the curse of our world. Everybody has that coming for them. Christianity is the only religion that gives a sure hope that it's worth it. The only one. All the rest of them say, if you were good enough before you got to the suffering, you might get to heaven and you might be loved by God. Christianity is the one that says there is nothing you can do. Only God can save you. And if you've given your heart and life to Jesus and to him and surrendered to him, you have an eternity through the suffering. That's the message of the gospel. That's what he says, Jesus, here. First John, he goes on, or in Revelation, verse four, John says this, John So who's John writing to? So here's John. He's the writer. He's writing about Jesus. Now who's he writing to? To the seven churches in Asia. Grace and peace to you. The seven churches in Asia are actually pretty much the seven churches in Turkey. That's where these churches were located. Modern Turkey. This letter is written to that area, to these seven churches. And it's actually a pattern where if you were to follow the city's down, it's like a pattern. I'm going to warn you first, then I'm going to warn you and warn you and warn you and warn you, and then the end's coming. I warned y'all. It's a picture of the gospel going out into the world. It's a picture of letting people know before the end is. See, that's what God does. God lets people know before the judgment comes. He cries out in creation. He cries out in every way he can to get people's attention, but we won't listen. And then he says this, grace and peace to you. So he's writing an apocalyptic book And John says, but just know that God's not trying to scare you. He's not trying to be like, I'm going to get you. He's trying to give you his grace, his unmerited favor you can't earn and can't deserve, and his peace that you're longing to find. You keep trying to find that relationship that will give you grace. It doesn't exist except in Jesus. And if you meet someone that's trying to like give you unmerited favor, isn't it the worst thing in the world when they like cut that off? It's like a bait and a switch, right? Well, I thought you loved me. No, I decided not to. I did for a while. I had grace on you for a while. That's not grace. Grace is permanent. God makes his grace permanent. It's it's an unmerited gift, free gift that you get because of your decision to surrender your life to him. And he is patient with you and he brings peace in your heart through your life. He goes on to say this, John says, This message I'm giving to you churches, that's us, by the way. These seven churches, anytime the number seven is mentioned, it's a number of completion. It's a number of, like, fullness. So the fact that he says seven churches is a symbol of, like, all the churches, all the body of Christ. Anytime you see seven, it's perfect. It's seven days of creation, right? Like, perfection, done, finished. So he says, from the one who is, who was, and who is coming. So the I am of the Old Testament, that's what God named himself, the I am who is now I am, the I am who was the I am and still is the I am, and the I am who is coming from the, again, seven spirits, that's a picture of the Holy Spirit working through all the churches. And these aren't like little spirits running around. That's not what God's talking about. He's talking about the idea that these are the, the seven spirits, as much of the Holy Spirit that these churches will allow to get in. 
and also the spirits that are working against the churches, which we'll see next week and the following week. He says, the spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ. Remember, Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah. And then he says, the faithful witness. He says, Jesus is the faithful witness. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus has been the most faithful witness of God's character to ever exist? Do you believe that he was the first person to ever resurrect himself? Dead three days and came back to life? Do you believe that he really does rule the kings in the earth when it seems like we don't have anybody ruling right now on our earth? We just keep electing crazy people? Like, here, you be our ruler for a while. Oh, that didn't work. Hey, let's get another guy. Oh, he's terrible too. Oh, look, one that's not quite as terrible. Oh, wait, he's terrible too, we find out. He lied the whole time. Like, this is what... This is our world. And God, like he's laying it out. He's saying, yeah, you're looking for someone who will be a faithful witness and tell the truth. You're looking for someone who can give you life when everything around you is dying. You're looking for someone who can lead you. And John's like, I'm writing about that guy. And then he says, to him who loves us. Okay, pause. Do you even understand the love of God? Do you even understand that he loves you so much that he is trying to get you to read his word, to hear what he has to say, and give you people in your life that will discipline you because you don't want to read, you don't want to hear, and you don't want to be disciplined. And God in his incredible mercy, in his love, is saying, I love you enough to tell you stop, don't, no, here, read this, listen to this, I'll walk you through this. That's love, that's parenting. I'm going to lock this cabinet. When you want something out of it, you come ask me permission. And we think, I'm an adult. I'm 18. Nope, you're not. I'm not either. My family has to lock cabinets sometimes from dad. Right? Oh, look, I found this. I wonder whose chocolate that is. It's mine now. It's really good. Hey, what happened to my chocolate? I'm the father of this house. You know, like, because we're selfish. So we need people. We need boundaries. Just like two-year-olds. we got to put locks on the cabinet so they'll drink bleach and think it's a great idea. And our whole lives we need that. I need that now in my life. We're going on Tuesday, Jason and I, to this thing called Generation Pastor. We're bringing pastors of all different ages from around the state to just come together and encourage one another and pray for one another and listen to their wisdom and give our wisdom to younger pastors. Like, hey, that's a great idea. It's biblical. He goes on, he says this. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood. It took his death to set you free. You can't get free on your own. You can't buy it off. You have to embrace that there's someone who says you were so filthy, messy, disastrous that someone had to die for you. You had a death sentence on you and you said, please take my place. And then Jesus looks at you and says, now what's your response to someone who goes in a courtroom and says, I'll go to the death penalty on their behalf. Is it, hey, thanks, have a nice day. And you leave. You might want to think about who, who you accepted and what you accepted. And you might want to think about what they think about that and what the world's going to think about your decision for Jesus. They might question it. And he says, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. He says he wants us to be a part of his kingdom and to be priests. Do you know what priests' job are? It's to make sacrifices on behalf of others. 
It's to give their life to serve the people of God. That's what a priest does. So many Christians don't even want to show up at church. So many college students come to college, never return to the church. They grew up and they abandon it. Listen, let me tell you this morning, we would love to have you as a member at FX Church. We will work with you. We will disciple you. We will pour into your life. We will do this read, hear, and keep thing until the cows come home with you. I promise. But if it's not our church, please join a good Bible-believing church in this town. Do not try to survive at Indiana University without a family around you, a spiritual family holding you accountable, hearing, helping, and keeping you. Do not do it. You will get chewed up and spit out. Give your life to Jesus and his bride, the church, his family. Please. That's what John is saying. We have a kingdom to build and we have people to serve. And it's all about the glory and dominion of Jesus forever. So let me ask you, what is it that you read, hear, and keep that exposes what you're really searching for and the blessing that you think you're really chasing? Because let me tell you, you've been sold that this whole college thing is the greatest blessing ever. You gotta go to college. You gotta get an education. You gotta do it because then you gotta get the blessing of a job and then the blessing of a house and then the blessing of a wife and then the blessing of a car and then the blessing of grandkids and then the blessing and the blessing and then it all falls apart. So you get another house and another car and another wife and there's extended family that you didn't, like, and then you die and everybody gets your blessings. That's the American dream. It ends in a nightmare unless there's a bigger purpose behind it. Look at what Jesus did when he was looking to be a blessing to others. Jesus asked this question, why were you searching for me? He asked them. He's asking his parents this question. They lost him at age 12. They lost the son of God. Funniest story in the Bible to me. I think it's hilarious. They took him on a trip and they left him. (laughs) I've left my son so many places. It's like a joke in our family. I hope he gets counseling for it. Like, a true story. Like, like they, they left him at age 12 in a modern megacity. Like, they took him to a festival. And the reason they left him is because Jesus never disobeyed. Jesus never wandered off. Jesus did everything perfectly because he was perfect. So, of course, Jesus is with us. And then they looked around about three days' journey and went, have you seen the Son of God? Nope. Then they had to ask all of their family members because they traveled as an extended family. Have you seen the Son of God? You lost Jesus? That's pretty funny. That's, that's rich, man. Like, we got all our kids. We're so much better parents than you, leaving your kid in Jerusalem. So then the parents have to travel back three days' journey by themselves, which is dangerous, and they don't have the posse with them. Or they had to ask the family to travel back with them in the posse, which would have been embarrassing. And they're looking all over the city for Jesus, and the whole time, guess where Jesus is? He, he look. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Like they looked all over the city and then they went to the temple to look for him. It's what we do. We go all over looking for the blessings of God, looking for the promises of God, looking for everything God has to offer. We're like, oh, I'm gonna, oh, maybe he's under this rock. Maybe it's over here. Maybe it's there. And Jesus is like, I've been in the temple the whole time. Like, why didn't you go to church? Where'd you think I was? You know, I was like messing around with prostitutes. I'm a son of God, I'm perfect. Have I ever disobeyed you? Didn't you know? But it says they didn't understand what he had said to them. They didn't fully understand who he was and what he was doing in the temple. 
He was explaining to all the religious leaders who he was, and he was explaining the scriptures to them. And when he explained it to him, they were amazed, and they actually asked Joseph and Mary if they could keep Jesus and put him through the Harvard of the Jews. Right before this, Jesus is offered a free Harvard education. They say, we love your son. At age 12, you've got to make a decision whether you're going to be just a worker or whether you're going to go to college and become like the Pharisees and the scribes and the Pharisees, the smart people, the, the extreme people. I'm not saying college is wrong. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying you have to have wisdom for what you're chasing and the blessing that you're chasing. Be very careful. And this is Jesus' response. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he was obedient to them until he was 30. You know what? You guys have been sold your whole life. Man, you got to figure out what you want to do with your life. You got to quick, quick, find out quick. Got to know, got to know, got to know. You want you to major in? What you going to do? What you going to ah! Jesus was content to go live in Nazareth and work construction until he was 30. He had the most important mission ever in the history of the world. And he was the most human, most important human to ever exist. He's like, yeah, I'll just go home. Obey my mom and dad. Be perfect every day. Go to temple all the time. Go travel to Jerusalem as supposed to. And just live an honest, beautiful, wonderful, surrendered life loving my family. That was the plan of God for blessing? Yep, that's the plan of God for blessing. And we are told to not do that. Church is pointless. Get away from your family. Get away from all your responsibilities. It's time for you. Jesus was like, I came here to be in my father's house. It's not about me. It's about my father. And I'll go back with you because you're the earthly authority. And he lays all of this out. Matthew 7, 5, says, 6 says this. Don't give what is holy to dogs, your pearls before pigs, where they will trample them with their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. Keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching, and you will find it. Keep knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For, anyone, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who searches finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus is saying, you will find what you're searching for. He's not saying you can just knock on any door and get what you want. You can ask for anything and get what you want. The rest of the Bible tells us that's not true. He's saying that when you search the right way, you will find he said, you will find what you're searching for. Let me ask you, when you came to college, are you truly searching for God to change your life? Because I'm telling you, this next four years can be the most life-changing years of your life. For those of us who have been through college, God's not done with you yet. The next four years for you could be some of the life, most life-changing years of your life. But what are you seeking? What are you reading? What are you hearing? What are you keeping? There's something that we teach on a regular basis. When you read God's word, ask these four things. God, man, me, do. Write that down. God, man, me, do. What does this passage of scripture tell me about who God is? What does this passage of scripture tell me about mankind? If I get those two things right, then I'll probably figure out who I am. And if I get that right, then there might be something God might ask me to do after I figure out who I am. And if you read the Bible that way every day and go to the Bible that way, you don't just go to the Bible to go find the do that will bring you a blessing, which is how we teach people to read the scriptures, and it's evil and wrong. That is not Christianity. That is, that is world religion. Christian is who is God. The world is what does God want you to do without even knowing or questioning who he is. We're telling you who he is. You do it. God says, no, I want to tell you fully what you're getting into, fully who I am before you commit, because when you commit, I'm going to be in your life making you do stuff and doing stuff in your life you never thought was going to happen.
It's a totally different way to look at it. As we wrap up, he says this. John writes, look, he, Jesus, is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, including those who pierced him. And all the families of the earth will mourn over him. Thankfully, Jesus said we can mourn and we'll be comforted. So when you mourn, you'll be comforted. And the families of the earth will mourn. This is certain amen. This is going to happen. And then Jesus says, I am the Alpha and Omega. That's the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. I'm all the words, all the letters. That's me. I am the word of God. I'm everything, says the Lord God. The one who is, and he repeats it just like he did before, who was and who is coming, the Almighty. Who do you think God was? Who do you think God is? What do you think God's going to be one day? Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 24, 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. There is a day he's going to come back, and everyone will see. No one can avoid it. For some people, that day is going to come before this day. They're going to pass away and they're going to stand before God Almighty in what John writes next. Actually, stop. Philippians says this about Jesus. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality God as something to be used for his own advantage. Let me ask you, why do you have a relationship with God? So you can get blessed? You can get the advantages of the world? Jesus said, I came to the earth and I didn't look for any of it because I knew I had it all. All I had to do was endure the time God gave me, about 33 and a third years, and then I got it all back. That's a relationship with God. And then he says, for this reason, Paul writes, God highly exalted Jesus and gave him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow of those that are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Yahweh saves, who is the Messiah, who is Yahweh, to the glory of God the Father. John finishes up. He says, I, John, your brother. So he says, I'm your brother. I'm no better than you. And partner in the tribulation. Ooh, tribulation. He just says like partner in the mess that we're in. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Not, not like this great tribulation, not the tribulation that he talks about, like just the normal tribulation. Like we're in a mess. It's his hard work. Kingdom and endurance that are in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because God's word and the testimony about Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. That means he's in church. He was having church with a bunch of criminals, sick and crazy people. He had a church service for them. He was in the spirit. That means gathered together in the spirit where two or more are gathered. My spirit is present. He was having church, just doing his normal routine that he's been doing ever since Jesus called him. And I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. We'll break those down over the next couple of weeks. You know, a lot of people say you shouldn't judge people. We shouldn't be judgmental towards the church, right? You shouldn't say anything bad about churches. Somebody should have told John. Somebody should have told God. John and the Lord, because the Lord's the one that writes this, not John, through John, says some great things about each one of these churches. Each one of these churches, God says, here's what you're doing well. And then he says, here's what you're going to have some major problems because of what you're doing. See, if we're loved and if we understand God, we'll understand that that's the process for us to grow.
that we need to read what he says, we need to hear what he says, and then we need to keep it close to our heart and realize he's not asking us or putting us through anything he didn't already go through and that he hasn't put people and Christians through for eternity. He goes on and he says this. I love this. He says, come on, there we go. I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And when I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the son of man, dressed in a long robe and with a gold sash wrapped around his chest. His head and hair were white with wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like a fiery flame. His feet were like bronze, as if it fired in a furnace. His voice is like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand. A sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at midday. Like John's like, ah, writing this down, trying to get this description in. Like, I don't even know what I'm right. This is crazy. You have to remember, John was the disciple that was said that Jesus loved the most and laid on Jesus' lap. That's how intimately close they were. And when he saw Jesus in his full glory, he's like, oh man, I didn't realize. John also saw the transfiguration with Peter. And James, they saw Jesus go up in glory once before. He's like, this is even different than that. All of these things listed are attributes of who Jesus is, that he's a king, that he's royal. All these things, that his feet are sure like bronze and cannot be moved. All of these are symbols to give us a picture of the heart of who Jesus is and what he does in the world. Then he goes on, he says, when I saw him, John, the beloved disciple who laid on Jesus' lap and Jesus is my best bud and laid with him says, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Let me ask you this. Have you ever come to the place in your life after reading and hearing and trying to keep the word of God and keep your life before God that you finally came to a place where you surrendered and said, I'm dead if you don't save me. I came to that place in October of my freshman year of college. And a stranger shared the gospel with me, involved with a Christian group, and said, do you know this Jesus? And I grew up in church, and I thought I knew that Jesus, and I realized I don't know this Jesus. I've always been looking for a God that would be for me and give me what I want, manipulate my life. I've never gone before God and fell as a dead man and said, I'm done, whatever you want. That's real Christianity. And if you've never done that, today's the day you can do it. By faith, you don't have to earn it. You just have to declare it and say, I'm ready. I've read it, I'm hearing it, now I'm ready to keep it. I'm ready to keep the covenant that God has given. He goes on, he says, look at Jesus' response. So he's laying as a dead man. You think Jesus is there and his hair's on fire and it's out of his eyes and his mouth and you're like, ah. And Jesus is like, hey, hey, John. John, it's good that you saw me that way, but don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the greatest. <laughs> I'm the living one. I was dead, John, like you're feeling dead. But look, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. This is what you've been waiting for, man. I'm getting you see this before you're dead. Nobody else gets to see this. You do, and you're going to write it down. It's going to be amazing. But John's like, I'd rather be dead. This is scary. <laughs> And Jesus is like, no, it's all right. That's what he wants to do with you. You come to him, you surrender your life. And Jesus says, it's okay. Now I want to take you on a journey. And John, Jesus takes John for the rest of this book on a journey of seeing his glory. And can I tell you, that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to take you on a journey of reading, hearing, and keeping close to God and a journey that will amaze you at the end of your life. 
He finishes up with this. Therefore, write what you've seen, what is, and what will take place after this. Write, John. Because there are other people who need to read this, hear this, and keep this. So write it. I'm giving you that. And for us, we have been given the most amazing book ever in the history of the world. There is no more trustworthy ancient document than the Bible. You don't believe me? Do your research. No book has been preserved like Scripture. No book more accurate. No book trying to be disproven more than the Bible, and it has stood the test of time. Written by multiple authors on multiple continents, multiple backgrounds, multiple lifestyles, multiple cultures. Let me ask you, what are you looking for to be the blessing in your life for the next four years? Is it what we read about? God and his church, his people, his word? Or are you going to chase all the things of the world while you're here and miss the opportunity you have for God to do something incredible to show you who he is? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that right in this moment, we have the opportunity to decide if we are going to keep what you say, if we're going to allow what's read to penetrate our heart and to hear. Father, I thank you that this is what your word lays out for us. And Lord, I thank you that we can be confident in you. I thank you for the faithfulness of John who gave his life to the end and paid the ultimate price by dying as a martyr in Ephesus, one of the churches that he warned, he went back to serve and died for. Lord, would we be those kind of servants while we're here and while you have us in our Jerusalem and take us to Judea and Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. Lord, if anyone here this morning has not made the decision to surrender to you, I pray today would be the day. They would lay as a dead man and say, my life is no longer mine. I surrender to you, Jesus. And they would hear you say, don't be afraid. Let's go on a different journey now. For those of us who know you, I pray that we would take seriously our call to be your witnesses. That our job is to read, to hear, and to keep seeking you and seeking the lost. So that they might read and hear and seek you. And help us to do that because people are hungry. We may not see it, but they are. And help us to give them your life. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to present your word to these folks here this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to be your servant this morning. We are grateful in your name. Amen.